people underestimate a lot of people that I meet. Like, I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to just tell you my story. I don't want to simply tell you how I like to do things. What I miss and what I crave, it's a two-way street. Yeah, you want to be fed as well as feed. You want to... Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a sponge and dump me in the water. That was weird. My phone rang also for Skype. That is odd. At the same same time the computer did. That was weird. Uh, peculiar. I have no answer for that. I don't know what to say. Hello, Azal. How are you? I'm well. Stressed, but well. Stressed, really? All things considered, life is good. Okay. Yeah. So in order to ease my pain, I'm drinking a, a Shiraz, a nice glass of red. There. Very nice. Very nice. I Let's wish see. it were later here so I could join you. Oh, you don't have to wait till it's late. That's just a convention set around by people trying to make life better. <laughs> Um, and this, this, is, this is in a crystal goblet. I want you to hear this shit. This is good. Listen to this. Oh, yeah. Do the... On the rim. I beg wow. your pardon. It doesn't play off very well on a podcast, I'm afraid. <laughs> very nice. So, um, this is um, part two of uh, of this chat with Rob Freitas. Now, it was pretty good. Um, it, it, it drilled pretty deep about stuff. But before we get into that, we haven't spoken since... IMATS. LA yeah, IMATS. That's, gosh, I can't believe it. doesn't seem that long ago, but that's. I think it was about over five or six ago. weeks. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Which is kind of scary. Um, that's fucked up. Yeah. Well, I've been very, very busy. I know you've been busy. You've had a couple of shows on, yeah, on the um, once, and you've got more coming. It's been crazy. This is the fastest start to a year I can remember in a long time. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down, you know. March is has come in like a lion, and I think is going to be roaring all the way through the month, which is good. Yeah, well, same here. In fact, I'm 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 off to Salt Lake City early tomorrow morning for a couple of days. Um, to <laughs> Have you seen some... Book of Mormon? Oh yeah. It's just every time Absolutely. I hear Salt Lake, it's Salt Lake City. I've ever seen. <laughs> Salt Lake City. That's all I. That's where I will be. Oh wow! So what are you going to do that? Um, freeze my ass off. For starters, it's snowy wow. right now, and it's coming this way. It's it's windy as hell. You know, I keep hearing things going boom outside, and I know it's gusts of wind hitting the fence or slamming into stuff. Wow. Um, you know, my my gig in in Salt Lake City is part of this ongoing restoration of a of a dark ride at a really cool amusement park, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do some until. Such time we can do complete replacements of of new fi- of of these antique wax figures. I'm going to do some actual wax figure repair work for the next couple of days. Wow! In, in the in the attraction, so I'm hoping that I'll have, be able to have some kind of kind of heat in the in there to to work on these these wax figures. Yeah, otherwise they're going to solidify. I know I'm repl- <laughs> I know I'm reattaching a foot on one of them and. and and there's a big crack in one of the legs, and then I'm gonna have a have a go over the other characters in the attraction. But the one that I'm really working on right now that we are replacing is Mr. Torture, and I've I've got the got the sculpture done. Oh wow, that's creepy. And I'm now I'm 
now I'm starting to punch hair, getting ready to punch hair. I've got got his wig partly on there. I've so that's taken up a lot of time. Yeah. And I've got and I've got two more figures of him that I've got to do as well, but not full heads. They're just going to be faces okay. that are going to be in different parts of the attraction. Uh, but I'm having a ball. It's it's such a such a cool thing, and the and the the renovation of this this ride is going to look really really cool. Oh, nice one! Uh, so they're actual yeah, the wax figures itself, made from wax. Yeah, yeah. They're and they're they're over fifty years old. Wow. They're, they're they're amazing. They need to retire them and put them on display in in some kind of museum at the park or mm. somewhere somewhere at the park so people can look at them. But I think they're just too cool to keep in the action itself and risk any damage to them, mm-hmm. which is what the plan is to, is to eventually replace them all and put them on display somewhere. Amazing. Well, I did some... Um, what have you been up to? No, I didn't, I've been busy. I, I, I did... Um, there was a, a film that was filming in Estonia. I made some pieces for that, and I shipped the molds over last week, and then um, that finished uh, one job, and then the next one was something else for a TV show, so I had to cram that in, and that was good fun to do. So I've been really, really busy doing that. And then last week, I went with um, Dave Powell from PS Composites. We went to visit a, a college down at Somerset, and that was like you know a, a drive down to Somerset, was there for a few hours and then drove back. It was like, you know, 12 hour day, most of it in the car, but that was pretty good fun. So that was, yeah. that was nice. There were really good uh, students there and they had a great time and it was a lot of enthusiasm. I find the further you get out of London, the more people kind of have time for things. It's quite pleasant. I don't know if, because London is so That's great. busy and there's so many things going on that, you know, if, if they weren't going to come to this, they'd be doing other things and all the, you know, there's everything you can imagine in London to do. Whereas maybe Somerset's a little bit quieter. So can you hear that? That was my, the thermostat, my heater. And, uh, yeah, nice. so it was, it was good fun. It was very, very cool. So correspondence, we've had a few, uh, emails and stuff. And, uh, I know we've both been answering back and forth. There was one about tattoos that, uh, I, I just kind of yeah, left yeah, you to get on with that, that one because up. that's not really something I'm, I'm good at. So. That was best for you well, she, to deal with She kind of figured her, figured it out for herself. Uh, a young lady named Jessica Bass. Um, she's doing it's a theatrical thing, and she's doing a bunch of tattoos. And I I don't think she was getting them wet off when she was doing the transfers to to let the ink really do its thing. But she's gotten it all worked out. I'm hoping she'll send us some pictures because I'd love to be able to have us post that kind of stuff along with uh, the blog to see. Mm-hmm. And they go. So Jessica, if you're listening. Send us some pictures of the tattoos. We'd love to see them. Excellent. Uh, Tom Luca um, got in touch about estimating volumes of foam latex to fill a mold. Um, and I, I kind of, uh, th- th- I know a lot of people like weigh silicon, you know, or they weigh the clay from the sculpt to, to see yeah. silicon. But I tend to do it by volume. But with, with foam, because you can, because you mix it and measure it out as a weight, but you actually, me- you turn it into a volume by 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 way how much you, you mix it because obviously the longer and faster you mix it sure. the bigger it gets the same amount of liquid you measure out becomes a larger volume so it's actually more of a volume thing than a weight thing but i think that yeah and there's it's it's a little little messy better to have more than you need than not enough though mm-hmm. depending on the size of the mold you can actually inject some and then inject some more if you've got different different injection ports rather than trying to do it all all in one well foop which for you know, like a bodysuit is virtually impossible to do in in one injection or one one pass. Mm. You're mm. gonna you know, the lighter the foam, the, the higher the volume. You know you're gonna need to. There's gonna be some excess. You want to yeah. have have 
some left over rather than oh shit is there gonna did i fill a mold yeah i mean with foam because so much of it now i gotta wait several hours to find out you got it all yeah no it's better just to mix up way too much and just accept that waste and then make a note of how much you don't need i think the thing is to have the container you're going to be mixing the foam in and then when you clean out your sculpt you open your mold up and you clean out the clay that was in the sculpt just to kind of dump those pieces into that container that you're going to mix in the foam in and then kind of press it down and that will give you like a line that you know mm-hmm. you've got to at least get to um yeah and with with foam latex you want to have you want it to rise at least at least twice the the original liquid volume if not a three mm-hmm. times and that'll give you an idea of how much you, you know, is it one batch or two batches yeah i think it would well, be a good good blog post actually to to cover estimating material volumes for things because sure things like silicons and things there are obviously uh you know it's an expensive material you don't want to mix up too much you run out by not having enough so you know having a a few kind of rules of thumb and you know um, not everyone knows how to do that estimating volume thing you know with you know width dye by depth, by vol- you know thickness, kind right? Of and what's the volume of a sphere or a cylinder? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just drinking the wine; it's delicious. Uh, there was that, and there was also Mitch McDonald uh, got in touch with the uh, working about alginate, and that turned out really well, which was good to know. I just got a Facebook question a couple of days ago, maybe it was even yesterday, about lumpy alginate, mm-hmm. and he again he figured it out on his, on his own. He would he, he had been pouring the powder into the water mm-hmm. as opposed to the water into the powder, and it makes a big difference in the consistency of the alginate when you're you're mixing. Mm. I think what what uh, something that Mitch at Brick in the Yard pointed out to me, which is not something I considered uh, living in England, but obviously the land mass of the United States is much bigger, uh, so the water doesn't always necessarily come from the same places so depending on where the water yep. it comes from it, it's got different acidity or ph levels or all kinds of stuff um so you know you may get someone like you know in the middle of nowhere getting the water from somewhere and something else you know what i mean so it all depends where where that water is stored yeah. and where it's kept and like uh, i made the mistake once of uh, we floated some pieces this was done in texas in the middle of summer and we uh, we filled a, a bunch of um, buckets up with water in order to float some sculpts off. And I was using La Touche, you know, that very, very soft clay. And uh, I right. assume the water will come out of the taps freezing cold because it does here because it's freezing cold. But of course, the water came out kind of tepid, actually. And then I was using that to soak uh, these heads overnight. And of course, the water wasn't cooling down particularly overnight. And it was still like, you know, almost like a a, a, cup, a cup of coffee that had cooled down kind of temperature and with the Le Touche, it was almost gummy so trying to get it very off. soft clay so, the temperature is obviously one thing but but uh yeah obviously depending on whether it's well water or you know come from a dam or it's purified or whatever there's different things that happen to it yeah because uh, just like the it. sulfur will inhibit silicone it'll mm-hmm. also affect uh alginate yeah so it's worth definitely doing a test with it to see how when your in, water when in works. doubt do a test yeah do a test because as well the temperature of the room the temperature of the water and, and again you know the, the 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 chemicals in the water even though they're slight and minuscule and i'm not saying they're harmful to drink chemicals i just mean the chemistry of the water is is, is different enough to have an effect with the chemicals in the alginate and it may mean you get a dodgy result but anyway he um Obviously, because alginates typically were designed for dental casting, they they do go off quite fast. Um, you do get them retarded, so they slow down. But uh, he had a test and everything, and uh, you know, if you mix it very very well, um, my big suggestion was you know put the powder into the water, 
um, sorry, put the powder into the bowl and then add the chilled water to the powder and then mix it as rapidly as you yep. can in a round container, which sounds obvious, but sometimes people use like square containers, like old ice cream tubs or something, um, which is, you, you know, they're the free, but then you hit the corners when you're trying to stir it quickly. You're hearing, you know, your hands hitting corners, whereas a round container, you can actually accelerate and get some speed up with it. You've got to mix it really quick and you want to try and mix in about 30 seconds because if you spend a minute and a half mixing it that's a minute and a half less of time you've got and if you've only got three minutes then that's half your time gone in the mixing yep. but uh but he did all that and um, mixed it up fast and he uh, had some success with it so i'm very pleased that his test went well but again see this could be another a whole blog post on just you know mixing alginate <laughs> yeah i mean a general rule of thumb is five ounces of powder to a pound of water mm-hmm and keep that extra water or, nearby. Or and keep extra water nearby just in case the formula is a little bit differently. Or you can even even do it out. It's almost a one-to-one by volume. Yeah. I tend to do that by volume. But the secret is, I think, is, well, twofold. If wanted to have somebody else pour the water in, so you can say a little bit more, a little bit less, you can concentrate on just the feel as you mix it. And yep. also have more water ready than you need. Because if you have to run across the room to get the faucet to get more water... That's another 20, 30 seconds of valuable time you've Clock's pissed up the wall. Clock's ticking from, from the get-go. Exactly. So if you need, you know, a couple of pints of water, have a, a gallon ready is all I'm saying. Just because that way, you know, you've got enough and, you know, someone can pour in more as you need it. Agreed. It's good stuff. It's kind of scary. I know when you mix that up and there's that, that invisible time is, you know, the clock's ticking. You're like, oh, but you get used to it. You just got to work really quickly. And have everything ready. That's the yeah, thing. Well, I, I found I found a photography um, a darkroom timer um, a while back, and I've got it up on the wall in the, in the shop. And it's, it's also you know, it's a good idea to set that timer mm-hmm. where it's visible for everybody working, so that when you start mixing, you know how much time's elapsed and how long you've got before your alginate's going to go off on you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you got Something that probably everyone will have, they have like a clock on their phone. If you can have like, a, you know, a, a second or a third person on standby who's doing the timing to say, you know, 30 seconds, they call out every sort of 30 seconds how much time has passed. Um, although you tend to work, you know, based on how quickly you've covered the head because you're working, you can feel the alginate thickening. Um, but yeah, if you've mixed it right, it should be, you know, a pleasant enough sort of uh, consistency that you can work quite quickly and uh, i think if you're working well and there's two of you, you can easily cover a face in about 25 30 seconds um yeah it feels like you need more but actually when you do it you can do it and that's not rushing you know you, it, the, the face is actually a very small area to cover but anyway that's uh that that, that needs a lot of illustrations to go with that but uh, it's just a few emails and messages we've had and uh, it's nice when you hear back and you go cool you know you get some advice and it worked out really well and Yeah, I want to see the pictures of those tattoos. That would be good. Yeah, keep those emails coming in, folks. So the second part of the Rob Freitas interview, um, when I was in touch with Rob, it was was a really nice time. And I I said to him about um, um, splitting this up into two parts because it was a good two and a half hour conversation. And he said, um, oh, I think we covered it all in part one. I'm like, dude, you have no idea the stuff we did in the first thing he He'd forgotten himself, and I was listening through it uh, the other day, editing it down. There was there was almost nothing to edit because it was just pure gold just coming out. But he was talking about uh, a, a few things, which we sort of touched on in the first part. But one of them was the, uh, you know, m- helping to make people know the unknown names, shedding some light on some of the names. Mm-hmm. He was talking about um, 
uh, a guy called Jason Barnett who done a documentary of Charlie Gamora. Have you heard about this? And he, he did a documentary called uh, about the genius monkey man. Um, and no. Char- Charlie Gamora played like a load of ape creatures back in the twenties and thirties, but he was also an accomplished makeup designer and a right. sculptor. And um, Jason's done a documentary, which is on, it was a Kickstarter campaign. It got funded and it got made. And I heard about it because I was listening through to what Rob had said. And I was, I was editing, bearing in mind, we recorded this in October and he mentioned this documentary that Jason Barnett had done. And I, w- I was taking notes and I was listening and going, Oh, I looked that up. And I went down a rabbit hole and I found out this Kickstarter thing and I found, and I found the, the, the documentary and it's a, a Vimeo thing. You can pay and download it. And I did. I just thought, well, that's worth like 14 quid. I just, I bought it right there. And then I'm like, this is fantastic. This is exactly the kind of thing that I could nerd out about. So I bought that and I would recommend anyone else to try. You can, you can rent it for a day and it's, it's, it's amazing. So it's just, you know, shows you all about that kind of stuff that was good and also um he he went on about uh, uh gunner ferdinandson who was a, a mold maker yeah who's like you know he's the guy i mean everyone i know rob doesn't take compliment it's not that he can't take compliments well but whenever people sort of shower him with adoration he's so keen to like yeah but look at these guys over there because everything i know this is where i learned it from and uh, and you know gunner had something like ghostbusters the original ghostbusters and total recall and the thing and legend and I was just reading through the IMDb going, oh, my God. That's one of the cool things about Rob is that he's he he won't take the spotlight alone. No, no. He wants you to know where he got all this stuff. And it's very, very important. He pointed out to me about um, yeah, the, the the Wizard of Oz makeup artist. I don't know if you, you know that. I, I didn't know about this. But there were um, there were a couple of guys that worked. They, they came from Sweden and they um, had done. Uh, molds in Sweden. Uh, he, there was a couple of guys, uh, Joseph Norin, and he had a son called Gustav, and they came over to the States, but they originally started making plaster cylinder molds for, for jewelry things. And then they got in with the Shrams, I think, and they worked on, um, way back when, uh, they worked on, um, you know, the Wizard of Oz and stuff. And, and then lo and behold, you know, prosthetic molds are like these little cylinder molds. And he was saying that, you know, that's kind of where all that stuff came from. And it was like, Oh my God, wow. this is just amazing. And I looked into it all and reading up about them and like, um, uh, so, so yeah, Gustav Norin then, uh, had two sons called, uh, I think Robert and John and they, they're, they're both makeup artists as well. And it was just like, Oh my God. And just, you don't realize where do all these things come from? These, these rabbit holes of names of, of things. And I'd heard of some, but not others. I'd heard of Gunnar. Yeah. And no, most people know, know Jack Dawn, but don't realize all of these other guys that were involved as well. Mm-hmm. And it just goes back so far. But I mean, you look at the wizard of Oz makeup and it's like a who's who of, of makeup artists. I mean, Max Factor was on it. Tuttle was on it. Jack Young. Um, this is, <laughs> there's two dawns on there. I mean, it was just amazing. And the whole dawn legacy. And there's a, there's a, um, a new book that, uh, Michael Westmore's written makeup man. I yeah. haven't read it yet, but I want to get it. And that looks good. And of course, it's on whole, my list too. The whole Westmore clan go back, you know, way back and, uh, I did have, I think, I think Mark Coulier still got my copy of it. Mark, if you're hearing this, I, I don't know if you still got it. It was years ago. I lent it to him, the Westmores of Hollywood. And it was a signed copy yeah. as well. So if I can get that back, that'd be good. But I, I, the, we, we, I think it was about 15 <laughs> years ago. I lent it to him. So that's fair play. Good luck. I know what I'm like with DVDs and stuff. So uh, possession of nine tenths of the last. But, it's uh, March. yeah, this, uh, this, this part two, we'll go over to, to Rob Freitas now. It was, uh, the second half of this and he just gets into stuff and uh, 
you'll be surprised how much he's not worried about technology and how much he embraces all that kind of stuff because it comes from the same place. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, I had a conversation with him at, at IMATS that was we were just I was saying hi and I was talking to him about about some book stuff and we wound up standing talking about all kinds of stuff for gosh close to an hour. <laughs> It was it was terrific and things that I didn't realize had been going on for as long as they have. So there's there's a lot of stuff that will be coming out in the next edition of my book regarding that. But um, I I cannot wait. I haven't listened to part two yet, and I am stoked. I, I just it would be kind of maybe cool to I don't know maybe I just want to. I kind of want to expose the people that I'm fans of yeah. to people that haven't heard of them yet. Because maybe people look at me and, you know, I'm in England because I'm teaching a class for Neil. And I'm going to go to the prosthetics event and talk about the craft. And maybe my hope in the future is there's some people that I've met and I think maybe next time I come to London I could sit in the crowd and I would have a really big smile on my face if the people that do some work that really inspire me mm-hmm. got better well known for it mm-hmm. I think it's a good example to set as well because it it's telling people it happens sometimes at trade shows and I guess it happens to any kind of industry but you get like kind of industry heroes that are put there and it's not that they don't deserve to be there but it's like you don't want people to not listen to your message because they're too impressed with it you go no, no, no do what I'm right. doing not what you think of you know what I mean? If my yeah. face is on something, it doesn't mean right. buy that product and like do what I'm doing. So it's it's the same. It's like when you go to a trade show, you're not there to go, hey, look, they're great. You go there because there's, there's something you want to impart, but equally there's other things you want to find. Right. And you you want people to know that's that about you as yeah. much as what I've done with the course. Yeah. It's like, but look at me. I'm reading about this. Yeah. I found some obscure thing about a oh, pot yeah. that was made in, in Malaysia in 1500 and that, that interests me because it's relevant to this. You've got to do what I'm doing, not do what you think, this curated version of what you read yeah. in magazines. It's No, what you just said is spot on. It's spot on. Like I said, when I used to work in certain shops and work with people, you know, like Gil and I used to, Gil Liberto, he does a lot of Joel Harlow stuff now. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you see like Star Trek Beyond and Black Mass, he is the key and lead mold maker, the head of that department. If it's a smaller show, he'll do it all himself. You know, he understands all the technical stuff. He's brilliant. Nobody knows his name. If you're in L.A., you know who Gil is. And then I come out like I am in London now, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's a, this friend of mine. He's like, who? And I'm like, oh, I shared a table with him at Rick's. for like, who? And I'm like, okay. I can't, you know, it's, I understand that some of my friends, they're really talented, and they, they don't need the digital footprint. They don't need their name out there. But for me, it's... I don't know. I kind of would, wouldn't mind if, like, some of these people were just slightly more popular. Only because, like, I grew up and it's the interaction, like you said. People underestimate a lot of people that I meet. Like, I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to just tell you my story. I don't want to simply tell you how I like to do things. What I miss is being in an environment where I'm standing or working next to people that I consider equals. Because I think the the funnest times I've had is when you have a task at hand 
a professional task, when you get more than one person involved and you're bouncing ideas and you also realize that everybody's comfortable with each other, mm -hmm. which is an amazing feeling. Mm -hmm. When we're not going to hold it against each other, there's no egos. We're going to go out to lunch later. After work, we'll go have a drink. And then on the job, there's a certain openness and sharing that happens. I miss that. I really do. And when I meet younger people or, or just people when they approach me, sometimes they think that I just want to talk about myself. I'm like, no, my goal is I just want to kind of recapture what I used to have. Because we get older now, and like back in Los Angeles, some of these mold makers have become my makeup artists. Some of them now, like, you know, Brian Van Dorn has his own Van Dorn Gourmet. He makes his own spices. He has his own company. He still moonlights for shops and whatnot. But, you know, like, sometimes the path of life takes you away from those situations. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy that they're all doing well. I just miss the interaction. So when I meet other people, I have to kind of sometimes remind them, they're like, look... I don't want to just tell you my story or my ideas. What I miss and what I crave, you know, it's been this way for a very long time. It's a two-way street. Yeah, you want to be fed as well as feed. You want to... Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a sponge and dump me in the water. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when I was a teenager and I used to read about Gunner, or we used to read about Dick Smith's ideas or Rick Baker's ideas or John Chambers, you know, the list goes on. I remember looking at Elephant Man, the word Chris Tucker, reading about, like, you know, the old Stuart Freeborn, you know, like you look at that stuff and like, don't tell me you don't think about Chewbacca, Yoda, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? My childhood, it's like, boom, it's like, you know, I never got to meet Stuart Freeborn. It would have been cool. I've never got, I've never met Chris Tucker, um, you know, and again, it's like, I remember when people talk about their favorite stuff, sometimes the people or the work over the pond gets mentioned less. Yeah, maybe that's not fair. Um, I don't hold it against other people for, like, having a smaller window of what they focus on. Mm -hmm. I just kind of, I'm broadening my own professional horizons because over the course of my professional career, I have met people that are now kind of, like, substituting for what I used to get and what I miss. You know, it. And I think it's fascinating, and I just look forward to maybe in the future them getting a little light shown on them. I, Because, look, it's like myself. I give a lot of credit to someone that delivers that kind of product, and it's not about recognition. Because that's how I was and am. I understand that people know who I am, and most of it has less to do with my own work and more about who I worked with. Mm -hmm. And I'm also kind of interactive trying to pay the craft forward. Right? I understand that. I get it. Um, so some of these other guys that I'm admiring the work that they do, I understand it. they're just caught up and they're just doing their thing and they love it. And, you know, no different than certain people chose to kind of like maybe push me into the light a little bit due to maybe some of my work that they saw. Uh, all right, so I'm going to be that guy now. I want to be that guy, you know, and people ask, he's like, well, I'm like, all right, I'll go and I'll talk at these conventions. That's fine. Trade shows. That's cool. You want me to teach at a class? That's fine. Mm -hmm. 
Because if I can inspire some people to enjoy what I love, what you like to, you know, it's, it's not just about molds. No. Because maybe it's a sculptor or like someone that wants to do makeups and they just, maybe they would produce more work if they understood a little more about mold making. Yeah. Well, I think it's having that desire to maintain what it is that drives you. Because I know when I'm doing something, I can feel it like a feeling like this is important and you know it might be going well it might be going badly but it's an, it's, it's an important feeling and when I'm doing something or explaining something to something else they may be distracted by something they think is nice you kind of go no 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 look at the whole thing I, I want I want to tell you about what I felt when this was happening because that's the bit that's important you can't necessarily yeah. see that in a finished thing but yeah. that's what I was searching for and if you're looking for that same feeling yourself then you'll know you're on the right track when things are going wrong rather than just using things you can point at as waypoints it's more yeah. Like you say, it's getting into that mindset, knowing what it is you've got to be good at and yeah. feeling it along the way. Uh, well, I, I think a lot of times, maybe because like pre-internet and... That's true. Right? All of that. that it, like, Well, no, it, because, you know, like when I started, I think these days people worry or are just aware of what other people think about them personally them professionally and I don't know when I was younger I just I didn't care we weren't exposed to it I was still trying to go home and like flip through the yellow pages and try to find out what is this material that this guy mentioned like how do I find a book go to a library and like go through the index cards and like I heard there's a mold making book and what's the author's name I had to write it down Right, and you yeah. go and you search these things. I remember the feeling that I was like, find like I remember stage makeup, Richard Corson's book in high school. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. It, it's like making a monster. It's like three D. Like uh, thank you, Lee. It's like all these books that came out. It, the feeling that you get when you find it, I think, it almost comes too easy now. Yeah. Like I had that drive, and you know, like when I was a teenager and. When I got to the point where I knew I was moving to L.A., I had a goal. You know, I was one of those kids that watched The Making a Thriller over and over again. I was late to school because they put that on MTV. I loved the thing. I loved American Werewolf. You know, all those things. It wasn't a career choice yet. No. It was just a fascination. Yeah. So as I got older, I remember I got to a point, like, my the thing that... My grandpa passed away in 87. And only after he passed away. This is my mom's dad. He's the one that worked with the plaster. He's the one that when I looked at famous monsters and I saw a picture of them molding the creature from revenge of the creature. Right? So it's like a full-on sculpture mold, not the puzzle put together. I remember looking at that in like a famous monster magazine and I showed, Manuel was his name. I showed my grandpa and I said, hey, Pops. I mean... You know, that material looks a lot like what you're using in my dad and mom's backyard. And he, he knew the material, knew the technique. And there was this weird thing that happened where it's like, wow, that's how they make monsters. Click. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then so at this age of 13, like somehow, like the craft I've always been exposed to. My childhood summers and babysitting with my grandparents. And, and then... This fascination I had for certain films and creatures, it just kind of meshed. 
Yeah. You realize it's almost like wax on, wax off. You've been training. Oh, man. Like Daniel-san, yeah. all these different yeah. things. You had no idea. And Mr. Miyagi was, tried to punch was, me, and I blocked him. it was just them. a line. Yeah. But I think maybe a lot of people's lives can be like that. You know, if you if you have a sort of a purpose and you're not distracted, like you say, by like trying to be popular or this or these kind of superficial things, you've got this core Focusing is thing important. that you really give oh a shit about, you know. And you'll find something in the world that yeah. applies to it because I think you put the hours in, they just they just mesh. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I was like 14 or 15 these days with the internet and all those social media distractions. I'm not sure if I would be focused. But at the same time, I'm not going to hold it against people that are joining in now. I realize it's harder for them. Sure. So your job is then to make them feel that I just want to simplify, filter, and help focus. Yeah. But, but that's the thing is that the real mission seems like to make them feel that way you felt, not just give yep. them a bunch of dry techniques. Nope. And once you've learned these 50 techniques, you can call yourself a moment and go away and do oh, it. No. That's not how it works. Oh, no. Just like saying that's where North is, this is how you use a tiller and then no. go sail a boat. You've got to know what happens yeah. when a squall kicks in or if a sail breaks or... There's oh, yeah. a million and one little things, and you can't possibly learn every one. No. But what you've got to learn is a way of thinking. And there's probably a minimum amount of, of techniques you need to master. Yep. But then that you then go out into the world quite green, but you know you're green. Yeah. But you've got to have some kind like you say, make it your own. You own it. Yeah. Jim McLaughlin's quote. I still use it now, and now I pass it forward, pay it forward. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there's a big part of it. It's like, you know, I do not think that it's a coincidence that when you look at the younger years, like, you know, Dick Smith, he really got involved in, like, 1945 when he came back from the war, you know, and that's when television was on this big kick. Television was new, mm-hmm. and, he, like, he ran, like, he became a makeup artist for everybody that's appearing on this new, it's called TV. It was a new thing, you know, and the way that he went about in his large mop basement, right, and you look at a guy like, you know, like Rick Baker, and he talks about how he grew up in a house that had a carport. So he didn't have a garage. So he did everything in his bedroom. And and you see pictures and photos of him doing makeups. And So what do these people have in common? They kind of sealed themselves off a little bit. They felt something inside. They felt compelled to learn, pursue, and get good at something. Right? And I think it's common. Like even some like Flores, some of the, the the people that I've mentioned before, it's like whether it's from someone else they met or like sometimes I've heard that when I came out to London in 2012, they saw some of the collapsible core pictures I put out, which just goes back to a methodology that Dick formulated for his course in the movie Hunger, something that I read about, heard about, and it became like a quest that I had to solve. I didn't get answers on the internet. It was me doing sketches at home by myself, not sleeping, but driven. Mm-hmm. And then trying it and completely messing up. That didn't stop the drive. That's it. It's not being destroyed by failure. I think, oh, no. That's thing. But that's a big thing. I've noticed that happens a lot in colleges. People are not built, necessarily, to deal with that. And I think maybe the world, the way people are educated now. They're conditioning like people to yeah. avoid it. Yeah. Because that's the most efficient way. Like a business, like an industry yeah. looking for the most efficient. And if you're an outlier to the main core, then you're a problem. Or, do you know what I mean? And that's yeah, no, yeah absolutely. Things. No, it's, I still spend time, you know, Beth, you know, my fiance makes fun of me. It's like 
She's like, are you on your iPad again? I'm like, well, you've gone to bed. And I, to this day, I spend time, you know, looking back and, and, and trying to find research on piece molds and the old molding techniques and, and even like certain shows, you know, like I've recently been doing a lot of research because of the little lecture I'm going to do at the uh, event in a couple of days. Because I think it's um, interesting, like, you know, uh, Jason Barnett did a good documentary on someone like Charles Gamora. So it brings up the topic of uncredited people in history. Mm-hmm. And then three years ago, I meet someone like Gunnar Ferdinandson. And when I mention his name to people, he's still unknown. And these are fans of the craft that I talk about. And how do you... I understand. I do. I with everything that's going on and you know even Rick says at times it's kind of depressing on how fast that time will forget people time just keeps going on and some people get left and the memory's not there anymore so after meeting Gunner and after doing a little research um, yeah I'm just gonna like Wizard of Oz will be part of my conversation because I know who molded the stuff I know who sculpted the stuff that needs to get out. People need right. to know about it. And everybody talks about that was the birth of foam latex. Okay, we know that. And then when I think about it, maybe just perhaps there's a part of me, I'm a technician. Why didn't I ever take the conversation further? For years, Wizard of Oz has talked about, that's what it's talked about. It's a fantasy film that has endeared for like, what, 80, 85 years now? You know, 39, do the math. 86. So, those makeups are amazing. And you look at a list of the makeup artists, you know, that were involved in that show. And they all went on to become these huge, like, huge Dorm people. Tram, Westmore. Oh, yeah. Max Factor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, little, little guys yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. Are they still at the Max Factor Museum in LA? There used to be a Max Factor just off of... I'm not sure if it moved, if it's still there. Okay. Because that's Hollywood, and I usually don't jump over the hill too much. Yeah, yeah. You know. But, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting for myself to, like... If I can't blame myself for doing the proper research and knowing who, you know, Joseph and Gustav Norin were... How can I look at someone now that is entering the profession that says, I don't know who Dick Smith is? Right? Because I was a young kid that used to read about this profession. How come I didn't look back a little further and learn who developed the prosthetic mold making technique, even the round circular molds with the three keys and the cutting edge and the flashing? We're talking about two Swedish guys, one father, one son. The father worked in a jewelry environment, learned how to mold and cast jewelry in Sweden, moved out to America, hooked up with Jack Don. Good Earth happened, right? The first sculpted, molded, and cast appliances were little Asian eyelids. They were, I think they came out with a technical name of it, and I'm pretty sure that I've read a few places where it was just gelatin because back then they used gelatin for what they called glue molds and gunners kind of told me about that a type of flexible mold you know because there was no rubber silicone or black toughy back then so you have the good earth that took two years to film and started in 1935 
And a couple years later, Jack Don has his technician and sculptor. Right? And he knows quite a few of these makeup artists that were all really young at the time. They all became huge entities in Hollywood. But at that time, in came Wizard of Oz. And everybody knows it. So that is where foam latex was born. But people forget to mention that it was a father that developed the prosthetic mold-making technique of corrected positives, small round positives, like if you're going to isolate a nose or a cheek piece or a forehead, what we consider the smaller corrected positives with flashing and a cutting edge, and then a negative mold on top, perhaps using dental plaster. You can read stories of Joseph teaching his son at the time, Gustav, how to make those molds. And Joseph actually sculpted the makeups. To what degree and finish? Hard to find out. But I could, even his There's son, that, you can that. read in certain articles and magazines because Gustav had two kids. So Joseph Norin, the father of the prosthetic mold, has grandkids that talk about stories and you can look up articles and they talk about his dad being a Swedish sculptor that worked in the jewelry environment. So he learned how to make molds, came out, Jack Don met him and hired him, and he was a sculptor and a mold maker. And that's where the foam latex and appliance molds were born. The whole corrected positive and flashing. What I would do to see pictures of the molds that were used for the Wizard of Oz appliances. Because, I mean, you're talking about history. It's one of my favorite films. And people always credit it in our craft as that's where it started. Oddly, it took me quite a few years to think as a technician, who are the people behind it? Maybe, and I, I still think that meeting Gunner, it just, it spurred something in me. But not only in the past, because now I'm kind of focused at the same time with some of the, my contemporary technician slash friends. I think they deserve some credit. They deserve, you know, I understand if they don't want to, you know, digital footprints. It's important to me to pay it forward. You don't see a lot of my work online. You know, I'm happy that, you know, people appreciate the work that I do. I'm just maybe be a whole lot happier if they also knew some of the people that I know and maybe were exposed to some of their work. Right? It's like when people, that's how I met Gunner and we did that video for Michael Key because they're like, hey, we want to do an article on you. And I'm like, yeah, but can we expose Gunner first? Because when I was a kid, before I ever made a mold, I used to read about him. So how fair is it is to talk about me and my work when you haven't talked about him first? Yeah, especially when he's alive and capable and able oh, yeah? to impart. Now is the time to... Oh, yeah. You know, all that wealth of information, but he can also get it out. Next oh, yeah. I can't tell you that I was really nervous, but, you know, because I've met one of his daughters and got emails from one of his other daughter. And, you know, and I've met, obviously, had conversations with him, and I've met his wife a couple times. He turns 90 in a few weeks, you know, and it's a surreal experience to be, like, I enjoy our conversations, but... It's one of those things to where you like an out-of-body experience. Like within the moment, there is a subconscious part of myself that says, you, 
you do realize who you're talking to. Like, this is the guy that, when you used to lay down on your childhood bed with your elbows firmly planted in the mattress and your palms put up against your cheeks, and you were reading these magazines, that's the fella. So that inspires me. And then I think I just want to, I, I kind of want to share it. You know, because, and it, all, it comes a lot because, you know, they talk about how technology is affecting our job, right? You know, CGI versus physical effects and that kind of thing. I'm like, well, why don't we just self-promote a little more? Like, there's some amazing artwork, sculpture, makeups, technicians. We got new materials coming out. There's breakthroughs that are happening, you know. And there's a lot of people behind all of these individual events. Mm-hmm. So instead of complaining about the CGI, like, because there's some digital work that I just think is amazing. Like, I'm kind of open to both. Mm. Definitely. But there's also a lot of people that don't know about it and they're kind of folding their arms and, and, and refusing to take part. And it's right. Like, there's, there's no reason why you can't do both or at least have right. a good understanding of both. Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, things like, you know, when Michael Key started, like, the Makeup Artist magazine, and now Neil Gordon's got his prosthetics magazine. You know, I'm tired of, like, okay, Cinefix is a lot about digital and people sitting in front of a monitor. That's fine. That's what it is. You can go out and get Michael Key's magazine. You can go out and buy Neil Gordon's magazine. Are you doing that? Yeah. Because I'll tell you, I read Neil's prosthetics magazine, and... When I open it up and I get articles of Nick Dudman and the Penny Dreadful crew, yeah. Barry Gower and the Game of Thrones crew, I'm like, I'm kind of happy. Because there's some really amazing work being done mm-hmm. by some very talented artists, very talented technicians. And if you're going to complain about CGI to me, mm-hmm. well, I at least want to hear that you're participating and pursuing... Working, yeah, solution. Buy that magazine yeah. and read it. Yeah. Realize that... It's not like the war is over and everything's going to go no. computer. But but also, even, even if you do think that, then you learn about it. Go find out the, how the software works. Go produce a podcast oh, yeah. or a blog post or write a book or an article and be part of the link that figures it out. Correct. I think that's a thing. Rather than, like say, just be a spectator or a consumer. Yeah. It, like become part everybody of looks at Rick as someone that was an inspiration, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that he's retired... He's like he learned Photoshop when it was brand new. Mm-hmm. He learned ZBrush when it was brand new. Mm-hmm. He's doing 3D modeling and animation now. Yeah. He's, you know, he's like, finding, he's breaking new ground. Yeah, he's, he's figuring out because he's got the time to do it. So if he's because open to the new technology, yeah. why shouldn't the people that? Well, if you call him an inspiration, and so 25, 30 years ago, you know when it came to effects and makeup, he was an inspiration. Mm-hmm. So now he's looking at you saying, hey, you know what? Like, I went and molded, like, he sculpted, um, he, he did a ZBrush thing. He printed a Frankenstein head. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And then he molded it, right? And then he scanned that up a little bit in the digital program. And then he printed that one up. He did his own mold first. Then he had some wax that was left over from, like, 1968. He melted it down, slushed it in that mold. And then he did a, he cleaned that sculpture up. And then he emailed me and said, hey, how would you like to come over and mold this? And I remember going over there and meeting him that day. And it was an interesting thing because the social media and a lot of my friends are like, oh, Rick, you know, he closed his shop. What a sad day. Look at the building. 
And I got to tell you, when I went over to Rick's place and we talked about the sculpture, he was fired up. Yeah. He's like, look at this. I'm doing this on the computer and I sculpted this piece and thank you. Uh, he wanted me to go over and Vince Van Dyke, a good friend of mine, a talented crew, do some amazing work. Vince was kind enough. It's also in the neighborhood of, it lives close to the neighborhood of Rick's. You know, uh, it's not uncommon for Rick to ride his bicycle past and wave at the gentlemen as they're in there working. You know, so I told Rick, I said, I'm going to mold it over at Vince Van Dyke's shop. They're like, hey, that's fine. Go for it. Rick was, he, he, like, it was almost inspiring to see someone that retired. I worked with him in his later years, and he was, it's not about CG. It's just about producers making bad choices and not letting the artists do what they think they know how to do well. Yeah. Because he's doing it well, and he's producing this character. Oh my god! And he's deciding to okay. I'm gonna. He's saying, you know, I'm gonna learn this software. I'm gonna do it in 3D because oh, yeah. ultimately, what he cares about is creating this character. Yeah. And it so happens that he's able to do it now because the software is cheap enough and it's user friendly enough. Yep. That he can do that. It's not just about digital and practical. It's like yeah. no, 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 fuck that. It's character. Like yep. I remember at school. I'm 43. I remember at school learning typing. We had typing lessons. I remember thinking at the time, why do I need to type? I'm not going to be a secretary. Now everyone fucking types. Computers who saw it coming, right? Right? So everyone's yeah. typing now. And it, I think it's the same with that. I think I think it'll become a redundant argument eventually with the whole digital practical thing. I just think, yeah, you know, what I, will matter is the production of characters and how you think about how yes. they get created. Not get hung up on... It's an artistic outlet. Yeah. Medium is not important. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if I'm preparing it's a not. meal and you want to talk about the knives I'm using to prepare the meal... Because yeah. you're really into steel, you're kind of missing the point. It's like, with, that's not what that's about. I think people get very hung up on things like, probably because they don't understand it, so they see it as this fearful thing, and they box it in this like thing of like stuff I don't want to know about. And I think, but it, with digital, it doesn't have to. It be is like, an interesting thing to me, to like when you have a conversation with Rick now, like just how excited and fired up he is about it, because then I will go. The very next night, I'll be with some friends that we were all inspired by what Rick did in the late 70s, and right? Yeah. And I'm just, like, I am not, I can go into the art world, I can go into the technical world of automobiles and motorcycles, the computer's printing a lot of parts. I've even worked at places that work on your little snap cases for your iPhone or your iPad. Like, for me to make molds and to achieve that challenge, I could go in many places as an artist that wants to produce things i think maybe perhaps it's a little more limited and perhaps i'm just simply surprised that even you know like there aren't more artists that were inspired by rick in the physical realm that haven't just looked at how much fun he's having and how cool that stuff is that he's doing in the digital realm and said well, if Rick's doing it, maybe my older self should give that a go. Because Rick says that he's enjoying it and loving it. Maybe if I just like open the door, break down the wall, however you want to refer to it, mm-hmm. why don't you just give it a try? Because mm-hmm. I do have some friends that embraced it. I mean, look at Gino when he went over there. He left for Lord of the Rings. He did, you know, Gandalf's makeup, all these cool... He was very instrumental on the prosthetic side. Then I remember visiting Gino Azevedo at Weta. And there was um, Sergei, they called him Serge, a Russian gentleman, I believe, good with the computer. And at that time, they were sorting Gollum out. You know, Gina did a cool thing where 
I remember looking at his computer monitor and what he did at the time, the tin silicone of choice was 1068. So he, he cast up a slab of 1068 that was maybe, I don't know, the size of a scanning platform on your typical scanner. It's like 14 by like 10 by like a half inch thick. Gino had colored it pigmentation wise. The exact same pigmentation that he would use if he would cast up a head prior to a paint job. And then over that flat piece of 1068 silicone, he, like the different layers of the paint job were kind of isolated. You know how almost you can do in a Photoshop? Yes, you do like that much with the base, then this much with the base yeah. layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those little things that you would add, and then after you add them, you would save them, and you'd save them as separated layers mm-hmm. so you can see them individually. Or if you wanted to compile them on top of each other, you can do the same thing within the, the, the Photoshop program. He kind of just spread them all out wide over that sheet of silicone. He put it over the scanner, he scanned it, and then on the monitor, he kind of put it over to the left. So they had the gall... It, it, like they had this like foundation of the digital sculpture and then he was like just grabbing and moving and pasting and zooming and wrapping and I don't know all the terminology for it I just remember seeing it and I was like and at that time I guess it was a big breakthrough because trying to get the pigmentation and the colors and the layers and then it, I just thought it was funny that when Gollum came out people said hey it kind of looks like silicone and I remember back to that day where I visited Gino in New Zealand. I'm like, kind of probably where a lot of, you know. But if you look at, like, again, you look at look at where Gino's gone digitally. Mm-hmm. He still paints, you know. I, I know friends, like, when he used to work on a show with us, every time he cleaned his airbrush, he used to do this kind of whatever pigment was left within the airbrush, you know, the doodles that happen on the yeah. paper, the paper that crosses the table. And I remember it got to a point where he was doing all these doodles on his table top paper that he would maybe go to lunch and come back and people would have come over with a razor blade and cut him off. Like there's a, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, yeah, it's like, do I have an interest in the digital part of the art world? No. The technical, yes. You know, I work but with you companies. you try inspire someone to do that. I mean, that I, but that's the beauty. If this so, is how it passes along. You become a willing link in a chain yeah. rather than this sealed chamber. Do you know what I mean? I think yes. That's really important. I don't like boxes. Man, I cannot believe how much stuff Rob Freitas knows. It's kind of scary, isn't it? I can't wait thirst to for knowledge. That's this. the thing. It's a thirst for knowledge. Yeah. It's just thirsty to know yeah. stuff. Learn something new every day. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. And for those of you listening, if you want to learn more, email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to Battles with Bits of Rubber on iTunes and SoundCloud and iHeartRadio. Google Play Music. Wherever podcasts are found, that's where we'll be. But I I have to admit, I'm really surprised that you know, look at the path that Gino took. I have a lot of artist friends. There's a lot of Aaron Sims and Eddie Yang. And a lot of these guys have gone up and made really, really good names for themselves. They learned to adapt from a, a 3D world of a physical effect to the 2D world of 3D animation or whatnot, you know? And and I just think there seems to be a certain kind of hesitation or 
this lack of interest. Like, how come more people aren't following that? Because I do think it's a big part of it where a lot of these artists are the same people that are complaining about the CG animation, the CG yeah. execution, you know? I wonder as well, I don't know. Do you think I, that if they joined and they brought what they know, it would help? I do. I mean, I think it seems like the most vocal people are the ones that are naysayers. But mm. also I know people like Simon Weber who are like, he does a lot of stuff for like um, uh, Legacy and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's... He works over here in the UK, and he's he's made the shift from pretty much completely digital stuff. But he has a very practical sculptural background. Yeah, he's amazing. But he's always been good at very designing things. Yes. Yeah. I'm not very good at designing it. He is, and he. I spoke to him earlier this year about stuff, and he was saying, I think a lot of practical people are afraid because they they know so much. They know what they know so well. It's terrifying to be like a baby again and start from scratch with something. Learn something new. Yeah, and, uh, but I think they're kind of worried to do that. So I think someone needs to somehow bridge that gap for them and make them realize they're not so different because all of the things, like you said, with Gino Silicon Paint, the scan, he's coming at it from a practical point of view. He's thinking, oh, how yeah. can I apply these things which are very valuable to a thing? I've learned the interface, yeah. so now I'm going to apply it. And I think it's the same. It's, it's, like, it's like being a chef and moving to Japan and learning Japanese. You can yeah. be a fucking chef in Japan. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. if, if the only thing is you haven't learned the language, then mm. learn the fucking language. <laughs> and I'm as guilty of it as myself. Yeah, I'm as guilty Jamie, myself. You know, I, I could be learning we were the saying this, but side of my I've got task. ZBrush and I've got uh, yeah. subscriptions to Pluralsight. I still haven't gotten around to fucking doing it because I'm scared. Shame. And I'll admit it. But, Shame. But I think, you know, maybe yeah. five years from now, I'll have got my shit together and sorted out. Yeah. Because I, I, the fact that I haven't done it doesn't change the fact that I think that's where the future lies. I think that's what's important. I had this discussion last year at the prosthetics event yep. where people were asking me about stuff and they were trying to get jobs and everything and they are asking the right way about it and everything and what they think about digital. And it seems to me that there are certain aspects of principles that we know that we do that are important. But yeah. I just think the landscape will be different in 10 years from now and I don't really feel like I'm the best person to ask. I think the people doing the job will sort of have one foot in the past but they'll also have embraced the future and it's the people you say and hello maybe you haven't heard of rick baker or dick smith there are going to be people who hear this are going to be like oh they're idiots and they should know but they're also unfettered by that past they're not yeah. nostalgic for it so they can learn about it and appreciate it but they're not hung up on learning digital side of things i think there is some measure of blend between the two there's gonna that middle ground it's gonna be interesting Personally, I think that a lot of artists that I know that aren't welcoming the digital side, I just think they're being stupid. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And when these arguments about, like, the physical world versus the CGI world, I'm like, you know, because even, like, people would be like, well, hey, you know, we had this conversation recently where someone brought up Lord of the Rings. And said, see, everything was practical. I'm like, I rather like the CGI ring race on top of the fell beasts. That was digital True. and that was Lord of the Rings. You know, I rather like Gollum. I understand that it was a mix of physical, but I still go back to Jurassic Park and everybody's... Like, a lot of these same people will say, that's what makes Jurassic Park so well. Like, like, like it stood the test of time really yeah. well, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's because it was a mixture. Yeah. And then I look at that same person and I said, then why are you so anti-CGI now? 
because obviously you said the best way to do it is a mixture. So you would be thinking that you're going to create something physically and then incorporate your skills and work with someone that did the digital version and you're going to work together. Yeah. Because, yes, there's a lot of bad decisions, but it has nothing to do with technology and it's more about a producer making just bad Absolutely decisions. Absolutely it is. Because he Why doesn't know the about technology? the digital side. Yeah, the producer <laughs> doesn't know about the digital side <laughs> like he doesn't know about the practical side. Right. He's making these decisions. Yeah, you know. and You like, get bad makeups. <laughs> You know, <laughs> just because it's stuck, a bit of rubber stuck on skin doesn't mean it's amazing. Well, I, I think there's like, you know, like rose-colored glasses sometimes when it comes to the physical works of my childhood as well. You know, yeah. like you hear this, well, well, look at that. You know, like, what's the talk now? It's the the new Disney, like, Beauty and the Beast thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Everyone's going off on that. Right. And like, do I look at it? Am I that impressed? I don't know. Why don't I wait till I see it on the big screen? In a yeah. trailer? Okay, it doesn't look that good. Okay, but you know what? It's not the last film they're going to fucking make. No, exactly. Do you know what I mean? They'll get better. It'll and get better and, then, and better like, and better. At the same breath, I'll have somebody like mention a film from like the '80s, and I will reflect mentally on that film and say, "Well, those physical effects were kind of shit." Yeah. I mean, sometimes you watch something that you like really held dear. Yeah. Your well, I'll tell you self. what. It's like they don't hold up well. No, no. There's there's nothing more. Uh, uh, I was what I showed uh, my kids the Goonies the other day. Now I yeah. watched the Goonies when I was twelve in the cinema. Oh yeah, I watched it with my kids. My eldest is twelve. Yep. So he was the same age, and they kind of liked it, but not in the same way. And they won't feel about it the way I do. So you can't. Other people can't have your memories for you. Do you know what I mean? They mm-hmm. can't. They'll have their own memories. There'll be a thing that he's watched or a game that he's played that means nothing to me. That he'll remember in thirty years time, mm. and that's just how it is. Yeah. You can't beat people with that stick of like you say and I think there is a tendency to do that with like grouping oh you don't know about this or you don't know about that and I think you know we've got to not be quite so you know there's the jocks there's the glass we can't be like that we've got to break it down into that, a bit more depart- well I don't know how it is over here um, is is the wall as pronounced in your opinion between the physical and the CGI because I look at a lot of the films like you know, if I look at Game of Thrones, it's a beautiful mix. It is a beautiful mix, but what what I think is there's a very good digital department, there's very good practical, but it's almost like... But is there, there angst? The, the, I don't think there's angst. And I'll tell you what, I mean, some of the stuff I've done on uh, Game of Thrones, I remember um, like the, the CG guys, we were doing gags, and they were like, could we just, you know, when we do, they discuss it, they would say what requirements, you know, things that we could do that make their life easier. Inevitably, it ended up being like, you know, seams, colors, mm-hmm. being good. All of the things that I was already going to do. Right. So if we did a good makeup job, it helped them out. Because the thing is with digital stuff is, as a department, they are already heavily involved in doing things that were never the prosthetic job. Right. Adding rocks, taking away rivers, getting rid of planes, all those kind of stuff, extending yeah. buildings. And, and, so well, as a yeah, department, the they're not looking. They're, yeah, but they're not looking for more work in that right. respect because they already got every frame's got something in it. And like you say, that guy yeah. saying it was practical because they didn't even fucking know it was digital. It right, was that good. Thank you. So they're not they're not looking for. Uh, they're not necessarily looking to take away. Like I remember hearing stories about like Nick and. Um, the digital department on the first Harry Potter trying to slug it out was who's going to do the centaurs and then we did I remember doing the practical oh yeah um, uh, um, uh, uh, Esteban did like practical tests of, with, with flocking on me and Brian on our stomachs to see how the flocking would trying to get direct and it was all great and everything yeah and I kind of don't feel like that's how it's going to be in the future I think what we need is people to be like 
there are good digital departments, there are good practical departments, and I think the the digital departments are probably like the bigger boys. You know, they're not going to get fucked over. The, the the practical boys probably feel a little bit like the nerd who don't want to get beaten up. Yeah. But I feel like there needs to be some medium-sized boy in the middle who's okay with himself who can say, look, you know what I mean? We can play together. This is all right. And yeah. over time, I think it'll work out. So I don't necessarily think that there's a wall, but what I think there isn't is, is, is a bridge between the two. And I think that's where the niche is. I think it needs people who understand the practical and learn the digital side yeah. as well. So they're both familiar. In the same way that I would use Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign without thinking about it now if I'm producing a document for a course. Yep. Whereas if I never learned those pieces of software, yeah. I would be envious of people who've got nicer looking pieces of paper than me. But that's just bullshit. That's just down to learning. And I think it will change. I think it will naturally change. I do think a big part that will help the change is the anti-CGI movement, so to speak. Yes. Just needs to be a little more inner reflective and honest. Because I think there's this weird, like, you know, there's a nostalgia presence yes. nostalgic presence that it, like they feel like they're gonna betray yeah. i'm gonna betray my younger self it's yeah, like, yeah 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 come on there's some amazing like i remember watching x mac and it's like oh come on that's amazing it's yeah. a combination yeah. it's like there's if you like like you mentioned game of thrones yeah come on it shouldn't matter yeah so every time you know it's almost like the the physical or like they call it the practical world versus CGI it almost became like a political battlefield mm -hmm. and instead of just being about like seeing cool stuff it's like well and then you get like 20 minutes of why they're correct and the truth is is like the whole time that someone's like trying to get me to take their side or convince me that the CGI can't equally produce something cool yeah. My mind's eye just keeps putting cool images up there that are completely CGI and they bring a smile to my face. Yeah. So it's true, it's instead true. of it's focusing true. on trying to beat the, like, they're so focused on why to talk crap about CGI. I'm just like, why don't you just take that energy and focus it instead in the other direction? Yeah. And just promoting our side of the symbiotic relationship. Because like you said, sooner or later, I think the the best product will come from both companies working together because I think it's already started. Yeah. And some, like some of my favorite shows are already films, TV shows, whatever it be, they're already doing it. You know? Yes, I, they are. Yes, it's they there. Are. And so instead of like spending so much time and energy about just complaining for no real reason because. Yeah you like to focus on something that's bad. I'm like, well, in our environment, you can probably focus on something that's bad too, but you put the rose-colored glasses on yeah, and look the other way. It's a negative energy. It's not, yeah, it's just, not propagating anything. It's and, that, you know, and I hear a lot of talk about it. I'm like, I think I just chose a few years ago, and it, I'll, that's why I don't call it the practical. I like to refer to it as the physical because there are plenty of things like Dragons on Game of Thrones. That's practically done. They thought about it, and it like, makes practical sense to do it in the computer. To me. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. You don't need them physically. Nope. So they made the practical decision, yeah. and they didn't create them physically. It's fine. Yeah. I don't, like, when I watch that show, I'm smiles. And yeah, then friends would be like, well, why didn't they do it? Oh, my God. 
you have to allow yourself to you, like you have to allow yourself to enjoy some things. Yeah, you do. And your craft, like if you still enjoy it, who cares that the producer decided to replace something and now it's CGI and they did build a physical thing, but they chose differently. It, it's out of your hands. You're complaining about it. How do you think the people that actually worked and built the physical prop or character or makeup or mask feel? Yes. I've had my stuff replaced. It's like, come on, but, move on. You know, if, 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 if they've made that decision, there is, a, there is a reason for it. Might not be a reason you like, but it's a reason that's going to crop up again. So it oh. becomes the landscape. Just like maybe somebody was lamenting when foam latex came along. And like, well, I'm not going to use that new material. I mean, how fucked up be? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. <laughs> Why do you think Rick, like, look, like Rick Baker has had conversations about that. He will bring that up. I think, like, when Photoshop and ZBrush and all that came out, I can't help but think that's part of his rationalization. Like, it has to be part of his thinking. Yeah. Because if you look back at Jack Pierce's portfolio and you trace it up to a certain year, like, 1941 the wolfman you know and then all of a sudden what happened and even on that one that nose you know he went into the prop department met ellis berman and ellis berman had kind of cast up mold that little wolf head for the cane hey can you create me a prosthetic nose so he did a sculpture a stone piece and floated some latex inside of it and gave it to jack pierce and the wolfman nose is latex I mean, we could go back to the Bride of Frankenstein and the quite a few Frankensteins that came out in the late 30s, and they were already doing sculptures and pottery molds and doing a latex cap because the only one that was completely built from scratch was the first one. Everything after that was not. And so you're talking about Jack Pierce was in, like, you know, he was an actor that used to do makeup on himself, like Lone Chaney, Sr., and maybe just at that time the people didn't appreciate his acting skills so what's the first makeup that he ever does on himself the monkey the monkey talks Is that, isn't that what it was called monkey speaks monkey talks 1926 it looks like a plan of the apes design the guy's smoking a pipe the second image the second makeup that Jack Pierce did on someone else man who laughs it's like wow pretty good right then he gets a job on Dracula because remember Lon Chaney Sr. is supposed to play Dracula Lon Chaney Sr. passes away so Bela Lugosi is doing Dracula on the stage they bring him on over Jack Pierce isn't allowed to touch him but he does all the other hair and makeup that's okay we got this other character the third real prominent makeup that he does on another person is Frankenstein look at those first three and he just keeps building up. So I, when we're talking about the physical versus digital, maybe more people should look at that past and think you had one of the most talented people. 85, 90 years later, we're still looking at his work and going, good God, was Jack Pierce talented. Lone Chaney Sr. passed away before he really got to, you know, he could have probably went on to greater things as well, Right? There's a very well-documented like portfolio of his work. And Jack Pierce, what happened was, in the 40s, they entered an era 
where they had done Frankenstein, they had done them up, and we we kind of want to start throwing them together in the same film. It presented a problem. How long does Frankenstein take? How long does what the Wolfman take? And how can we do that in a single day and film them at the same time? Right? So you have one of the most talented makeup artists ever that was four four years away from being said bye. He worked for him for 20 some odd years, never really had a contract in paper, kind of one of those handshake deals, you know, and like he did makeups, like, was it like 1945? So four years after he did an infamous makeup of Lon Chaney Jr. and the Wolfman, he was done. Because he wouldn't conform. He wouldn't at least give it a real go. Like, I like to do my thing my way. And Universal said, hmm. And then Perk Westmore really had a shoe in in Hollywood because he had worked with, you know, the Bow Brothers, come up with, like, Charles Lawton's, you know, the, the Hunchback in Notre Dame, right? So the Westmores were a big name. Perk's a big name out there. They do beauty makeup. They're coming out with makeup supplies. Perk Westmore looks at the guys at Universal and says, What about my young brother? Bud. He's a nice guy. You should hire him. He'll run it. Bud's not hampered with this whole, Oh, I want to make things out of it. And he's going to go out there and hire people like Jack Kavan, Chris Mueller Jr. That's what I mean. This thing, this keeps going on and on. And it's the same with the digital stuff. It's going to keep going on and on. Like I said, that thing is not the last movie they make. You may not like Beauty and the Beast. I haven't seen it, but it... Even if you don't, they, they'll, they'll keep making it. They'll yeah. keep doing it. It'll keep happening. And it is those produ- producer decisions that shape how things go. And it's down to us as the stock to decide whether or not we're going to do what is necessary. Or Very well. Go, no, no, no. Yeah. That's basically how it works. Everybody it's happened everybody. enough times before now for us yeah. to go, let's fucking learn from this instead of just be a new generation Isn't of Isn't that a t-shirt already that you yeah. can buy at the, you know, the supermarket? <laughs> learn from your history? Learn from the past? Yeah, it is. And all these guys are like, hey, that guy doesn't know who Dick Smith is. I'm like, well, maybe you should read up on Jack Pierce. Mr. I don't want to learn digital. Exactly. You're an amazing artist. There's a lot of people like myself that probably would like to see some of these guys that are so physically connected. Like, go play in the digital world. Rick's doing it. You said Rick was an inspiring person. Rick is proving that I'm not going to go down the path that Jack Pierce did. He's mentioned it before in conversation. Because Jack Pierce is such an inspirational... Like, his imagery still lasts. It's been like 90 years. Like, come on. Learn from what... Like, you can't blame him for making the decisions or choices that he made back then. You can't. Yeah. But if you're going to repeat it, you can blame yourself. Because I'm sure if Jack yeah. had his time again, he'd probably be like... Yeah, I was being a dick. Yeah, I can't imagine that him in his later years didn't say, whoops. Yeah. You know? It's a shame. Yeah. And, and so now, yeah, there's there's a lot of friends that I have that have just made the complete switch. And they do the digital work. And they have taken that, the physical, all that things they learned about the physical environment, whether it's lighting and movement. And, you know, it goes back to Jurassic Park and Phil Tippett being involved. Right? Mm-hmm. The combination yeah, effect. Totally, totally. And... I guess I'm just really surprised that it seems to have really taken hold in the TV world first. 
Because everybody likes to tell me that CG is more expensive. And that's why it's being... Well, I don't understand why they're not using physical effects. Well, CG is more expensive, but it's more the back end. And, you know, they're spending all this money on these big overblown CG films. and But where the mixing is happening is in the TV world. Supposedly the environment has less money. So maybe they're using a little more common sense because they don't have so much. Like I, I get it. Game of Thrones has a pretty good budget, but like movie, you know, like TV shows like Westworld and even very subtle TV shows that we watch. If you probably learned that the you know the landscapes or the environments were expanded, like there's a lot going on right under our noses. Mm-hmm. No one's complaining about it because it hasn't been pointed out. But the moment that a physical thing was created and it gets replaced, well, then it's something to rant about. Because CGI is terrible. It's like, well, you were probably watching it on every TV show last night, and the night before, and the night before. Mm-hmm. It just didn't replace something that is so-called beloved to me. But the TV world is showing that it works. Joined together. It's taking a little longer for the film world to catch into that. Yeah. They're such big boats, I think. TV's shows, like you say, smaller budgets, but you know they can move a little quicker and they get their product out there and they have access to networks like HBO. You know they have their channels, so they oh, can yeah. kind of the wheels of grease. They can kind of it's it's like when they do um, you know gen- genetic tests on things yeah. like ants because they can yeah. see the mutations over generations much quicker. They haven't got yeah. to wait five years to find out. You know, yeah. it's similar. The gestation period is shorter. Yeah, but lessons need to be learned from it. Well, I mean, even with film, it's like that. Gone are the days where you get 12 months pre-production. But the funny thing is, you, you, you know, you talk to... I remember being in the auditorium, and they, they were at a Dick Smith kind of thing where he was down in, in uh, Melrose in Hollywood, Beverly Hills or something. I think they had a few guys. Rick was one of them. They were up there talking to Dick Smith. They may have been showing Ghost Story on the big screen. And they were telling the story about the pickup shots on altered states. And only after 30 minutes, about complaining about eight months later, they came back. They did all the hair transfers on the Neanderthal man that was running wild, you know, William Hurt's altered state. Um, they, Rick and, and they kind of stopped themselves mid-conversation. And they kind of looked out to us at the crowd, which was a full audience, and said, I'll be damned, maybe it's just always been this way. Because a lot of people like to say it's kind of screwy now, and people like making bad decisions and having to fix it and pick up. And then in the middle of telling the story, which was like very early 80s, it's like, well, that was a long time ago, and that sounds a lot like today. So maybe it's just in the head and the way you go about it. Like, you need to be able... And also, I think that sometimes people get resistant to looking forward and trying to... Like, when we were in school and we were kids, you know, we used to talk about, like, when I graduate school, this is what I want to do. And we didn't know how to do it yet. We used to start learning a craft. Like me, I play guitar. It took me years to get good at it. I ride motorcycles. It took me years to fully understand it. The craft that I love to do, mold making, it took me years to understand it. 
But I do remember being at a younger age and looking forward to doing something or learning something. Yeah. Something's changed. Because there's a lot of people that are very talented. And I wouldn't think that they would be afraid to try something new. And for whatever reason, the reasons are their own, they seem really hesitant. They haven't got a horizon anymore. They're looking at their feet. Need to keep Good way of putting it. I do think that's an important thing. And I like, you know, people talk about time going by faster and faster and faster. I think looking ahead slows it down a little bit too. Well, it's true. If you look at your feet, the things that are nearest to you are moving go by the fastest. If you look in the distance, it's not. Yeah. Same analogy. Chin up, right? Yeah. Chin up, look Look, ahead. Look ahead. Yeah, I remember learning that one on the racetrack on a motorcycle. Yeah. It's the same rule. Well, you start picking up speed. Yeah. They're like, you better look up. Okay. You know, yeah, I, I, and again, I don't hold it against the fellows that don't want to learn the CG. I don't hold it against the people with less experience that want Absolutely. to learn the physical. But, but, yeah, but, but step aside because progress has to be made. With you. Oh, it's <laughs> going to be made. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Right. But There's a lot of talent out there that yeah. are being inspired by similar people. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, you know, that look at a guy like Rick Baker and say that, look at that guy embrace the digital. Like, you'll even talk to him. Like that Frankenstein head I mentioned I molded because he was going to do an insert head for his rod puppet. It's all CG now. And he will not hesitate to tell you that uh, he's loving it because he started doing the digital environments and he said it was kind of a pain in the butt and he wants to do it by himself. So how do you record and do a stop motion puppet by I can just sit in front of my monitor and do you know, do the sets, do the lighting, mm-hmm. do the character. I'm just gonna do it all myself. Yeah. He'll tell you the computer programs he's using. Digital guys get a kick out of someone that known to be that artistic that's embracing their environment. Absolutely. I'm really I, I guess I'm just really surprised that it hasn't been a beginning of a movement. I think it will be. I think it's it may just while. take a... Yeah, I think it'll take a while to get going, but we'll, you know, cause we'll see. Yeah, the, sure. the thing that started off with Rick is like people like Aaron Sims and Eddie Yang and people that used to work for him in the physical world. When Rick would take breaks in between shows, it does seem like those that used to work for Rick joined the digital world first. He's always been into it, but he had connections and he always had an interest like explain the software and teach me how to use it like you go to his place now and he bought the digital printers he's you know he want, he learned the interface he's doing the 3D designs and he's printing the pieces in his house and he's molding them and he's casting them and he's painting them that doesn't mean that he's going to stick to doing the physical printed pieces because he's still doing it all di- digital mm-hmm. but it's kind of cool to know that he just wants to learn it. Yeah. Well, I think that's the probably the seed of, 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 of the crossover is is the fact that you can create the digital information. Yep. To all intents and purposes, it's three-dimensional because you need the three-dimensional mind to know what looks scary, cool, whatever. So that informs how it gets constructed as a complete object. Yep. Then it gets output as a physical thing. But that same information can be digital and manipulated. So that is the thing that's the there's the fork in the road there I think I think that's the encouraging thing that if you can working together yeah yep 
I think the analogy I would use is if you were a calligrapher, you'd be shaking your fists at the printing press that opened up in town. Yeah. Yeah? But in the crosshairs is fucking Kendall looking at both of you, laughing his ass off. Right? But behind that guy, all along all of these, both the calligrapher and the printing press and the Kindle, the pe- the person that benefits is the writer. Yeah. Who wrote the story, who came up with the plots. Yep. You know, if you only do if you're only facilitating other people's books, then yeah, as a calligrapher you're fucked up if no one's paying for calligraphy anymore. And like what's a printing book. Be the writer, be the author. So maybe things shift around a bit. Maybe you need to learn to write. I really look forward to the next shift. Mm-hmm. For various reasons, I think there's a there's a lot of things out there going on that people can complain about. There's probably an awful lot more that they should be happy about. They just don't realize it. Like you say, like it's, it's half full or sight. half empty, man. Yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> no, it is. Like you know, because it, it, it's simple. Everything that I hear people complain about, sometimes when I'm listening to them, I'll concur. I'm just not willing to give up enough. Uh, I'm not going to devote that amount of time and energy to bitching about that stuff. There's a great phrase I always have there. It says, uh, it's not the mountain ahead that weighs you down, but the grain of sand in your shoe. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like... I like that. Yeah, I don't know. These... I allow my friends their own space, their own voice. It's fine. At the same time, there's a big part of me that really wishes that some of my friends would just open up that door and walk through. You know? I I, I remember, like I mentioned Gino Azevedo before when I went out to Weta. I There was not one part of me that looked at him behind a monitor when he was working on Gollum and all that stuff way back when in like what 2000 2001 I didn't think oh you traitor like how can you be learning this computer and you know Sergey why are you teaching him you know the gentleman that was on the computer next to him I just looked at it and went holy crap that's cool you know that's I remember, you know, he's like, do you want to see, you know, you know Gollum? I'm like, no. I'm like, how about a fell beast? I'm like, yes. And just watching it through the layers as it goes from the rough forms and rough animation. And as they start to add the color, the contouring and the lighting. And then on a monitor, you see the finished thing fly by. And you're like, okay, Wow. If you want to bitch about stuff, you can. Like I said, a lot of that physical stuff that came when I was a kid, I watch it. I don't bitch about it, but if I wanted to look at it quality-wise, I'm like, maybe we could have done a lot better. Right? True that. You know? But, yeah, it's like, I don't know. Find something you like and go do it. If you don't like it anymore, fine. But, you know, in our line of work, if you want to be an artist... And you want to contribute in the design sense. I do think it's kind of silly if you're not doing it in the, uh, you know, like in the computer yet. I do have some friends that have done switch over. They get some work with it. They still like prefer one over the other. Mm-hmm. But at least I give them kind of like you know props. Like they've learned enough to where if they need to, they can kind of go into that environment and earn a paycheck. 
But there's some guys, it's like, just learn it. Why not? I look forward to seeing what you would create. I like their artistic sensibility because the digital world does open it up a little bit. You know, like we talk about like in the physical world, sometimes you see videos that shops will put up of a mechanical mask sitting on top of a C-stand. And you'll see the mechanical demonstration and say, look at this amazing thing that we've created. I'm like, well, I've been on set with stuff like that. And look, I do think mechanically it's really inspiring. So if you were going to like put it as an insert shot, a really tight shot, I think it would work great. I also think if you take that same head and put it on a stuntman within an environment and say it has a forest and you told him to run full speed like the director wants him to, he's probably going to be going nose first into a tree. And that's me just being honest. I've been there where the, like the guy, he hurt himself. So the first thing they do is they, oh, well, well, let's just take the head off. I'm like, wait a minute. I just watched a three minute video on how amazing it was on the C-stand back in the shop. You know, well, we put a little monitor in there. I'm like, okay, he can kind of see a little bit where he's going. Now you're telling me you got to lock the mouth open so he can see through the, the throat. And yeah. They're all like concessions working around the right. problem, which is... The director wants them work. to run full speed through the forest. Yeah, it's not practical. Well, that's lazy filmmaking. Really? He just wants something. He knows exactly what he wants. So how do you build it? Well, maybe physical isn't the realm. Maybe, like, maybe it is good to have the physical part for like the really tight yeah. stuff. Or you say to the... Or you have a department like, um, you know, like... Top masters type of thing where they'd be like well you know let's make a mask where this bit's missing but everything else looks great so we've got the light reference we can slot that in a couple of leds or something because we know we can slot that bit in digital and for the eight frames you're actually going to see it then we pop that in rather than making we're saying this earlier about like an eyebling mechanism yep you know with the, like the god a lot of work you know so maybe for the for the two the or three first lord of the rings see, put them in or even the window liquor video you know that you know the oh, yeah. apex twin thing and it looked great and it's they were masks you know yeah. Just well, they did that even on that. the first Lord of the Rings. They did that, mm -hmm. the goblins. Mm -hmm. You can see, like, they designed the makeup with the eye socket to be larger. They had contact lenses in there, and then in post, they swelled the eyes to fill the sculpted vacancy. Remember, that's, when it, that's common sense using the two together. Where'd that go? Common sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's I, I don't worry about it so much, no. but I think you're right. I think it's a it's a case of recognizing it as the elephant in the room, saying that's what you need to fix, is this uh, almost uh, um, a prejudice against it. That's what needs to be yeah. put away. I mean, I have you do it, I don't know. But that's I, I try not to get... Uh, I have a lot of friends. I understand why they're like that. I don't understand why they don't make the effort in the other direction, even quietly. I think if people start doing it, <clears> they start <throat> making progress. <clears throat> I think it will happen. I hope so. We should. We should probably wrap it up because it's 20 past one. Is it? And you've got a class tomorrow. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. It will. We may have to and there, edit. There, well, there ain't much I want to edit, to be honest. So it'll probably be two. Part. two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my no, goodness. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank Stu. you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I know we didn't talk about molds that much, but well, it's in there. All right. We're going to go on for another hour. And not you got a class. Stuart, thank you. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it.
Awesome. It was good. That was very good, good to meet you. And you. That was fun. So, that is the wisdom I could get from Rob Freitas in, in, in a short period of time. You can imagine how, just, I mean, for me, it was really late in the day when I got to see him because I had a lot of stuff to do. I had to drop one kid off to Cubs and it was just really late in the evening. And then from where I live to where Aylesbury is, which is where the workshop was, was going to be, you know, a good long drive late at night. But I'm so pleased I made the effort to get out there and see him because it was just worth every minute. And there was a few of us staying. We were just right. hanging off of every word. It was amazing. Um, and you know the cool thing about making molds? There's almost nothing you can't fabricate if you know how to make a mold. Now that you've listened to Rob, get out there and start experimenting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's his thing. He's always on about, you know, trying stuff out. And it still boils down to that mantra. Do something small, do it well. He has changed the way I make molds. Yeah, definitely. Well, he just brings a certain peace and logic to it. And it's just, there's so much more to it than you realize. It's fantastic stuff. He's not just an engineer. He's a designer. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, he's a, he's a puzzle, puzzle maker. Yeah. Puzzle solver. Pretty much what it is. You know, the whole thing about mold is you've got to reproduce something, but it has to function a certain way and you may have to get a lot of casts out of it. And it's just, you know, that there are certain things that it must do and you've got to make those decisions before you've made the thing. So you have to move forward on the assumption that it's going to work. Um, it's quite a responsibility. Um, so yeah. So to, to to have someone like that who gave up his time so freely was uh, was it was quite a gift actually. So I'm very pleased about that. Um, thank you very much for listening. And like I say, if you can subscribe to us on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcast, that would be really cool. And also leave us a review. Reviews are very good on podcast. I think you can leave reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm not sure you can re- leave reviews and everything, but if you're able to leave a review, if you enjoy this and it's worth your time, if you can just spend two minutes, just say something nice about the podcast, that would be fantastic. And also you can leave comments on our Facebook page, which is Battle yes, of Rubber on Facebook. That would be good. Yeah, man, that was cool. Thank you very much, Todd. I'll speak to you very soon. I look forward to it, man. Later. Later.